Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Stephen Pope, and Howard Tai. Today, I'm speaking with Chad Rubin, founder and CEO of Prophecy, and we will be talking a lot about optimizing Amazon sales, increasing your profits, incorporating AI into your e-commerce businesses. This episode is brought to you by the Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Chad, I started Hadley Designs back in 2015, and it took me seven years to get it to an eight-figure business. That's because I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it really needed to be. There were a lot of distractions or even self-doubts that I had um, as to whether I could manage or lead a business or whether my brand could become a real brand. I wish I would have had a guide along the way that would have helped me overcome those mistakes or foresee them earlier on in my journey. For our listeners that have hit similar plateaus and want to know the next steps to take their business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line say strategy audit and tell me why we should choose your business as the strategy audit session that we work on for that month. And if you don't win this month, don't worry, you'll be entered to win for future months to come. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you to Chad Rubin. Chad leads Prophecy's operations and oversees its strategy. He often speaks about e-commerce, Amazon, and leveraging AI strategies on webinars and conferences worldwide. He is also the author of the Amazon bestseller, Cheaper, Easier, Direct. Prior to Prophecy, he founded Think Crucial and co-founded Scubana and The Prosper Show. He is also a father, husband, and loves coffee and tacos. So with that, Chad, welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Chad, you've done a lot of amazing stuff in, in the ecom industry. Why don't you give us a little bit more details about your background? I mean, you helped co-found Prosper. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, we had James Thompson on the podcast previously. I think he's about 10 episodes earlier than you. And, uh, you know, tell us all about Scubana, because I think that's a really well-known um, software in the industry as well. Yeah. So I think if we zoom out, I've been in e-com now for 15 years, which makes me like a first-generation Game Boy. Uh, I've been, and like, I think my, my goal in this industry is to just leave it better than how I found it. So I was an early Amazon D2C brand before private label was a thing. James Thompson happened to be my account manager at Amazon. And we stayed in touch. And he saved me a lot of times through the years. And so when I started selling multi-channel, I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm building the software. Do you want to take part in it? Do you want to invest? He was like, heck yeah. And then he was like, hey, I'm about to build this community of Amazon sellers. 
do you want to be part of it? I was like, heck yeah. And it was just a, a perfect collaboration. That's and awesome. so started building. We did great. We sold both businesses uh, with really beautiful exits and uh, started working on Prophecy uh, and right after I sold Stubana. So in December of 21, started building. So it's been a year of building so far. That's fun. Did you already have, you know, the idea for Prophecy on your mind prior to exiting? And that's why you were able to so quickly do it? Or was it just kind of like you had some free time and you're like, this is it. This is the next thing. Uh, it's funny. So we sold April 2021 Stubana and it was a great exit. I helped with the transition and then I resigned in, from Stubana in October of 21. During that time, I did a lot of self-work, a lot of, uh, I would say, upgrading myself to a different version, uh, hired coaches to just be uh, the CEO of me. And during that time, I was like, had a little notepad where I'd write down things that bother me. Mm. And I started working back on my e-com company as well to try to improve it. Uh, because it was starting to deteriorate because it hadn't gotten a lot of love for me. So long story short, pr uh, pricing, I started asking the question, why, right? Why is pricing the way it is? How are we pricing our products? Why are we not changing our price? Is pricing, is it acceptable to change price on Amazon? Why is nobody doing it? And started forming a hypothesis that there's like billions of dollars that are being left on the table because nobody is pricing. And then I started exploring, well, doing it manually, running a spreadsheet, and then started really digging into AI, uh, which, by the way, is a, a, a buzzword that's thrown around often, mm -hmm. which we can talk about more. Uh, but started really working on building a, a world-class model with real data scientists to help a lot of brands on Amazon optimize price, which leads to maximizing profit. Yeah, I love that. Well, there's so much that we can dive into here. One of the most important things that I love, though, Chad, is that you have your own e-commerce business as well. So you're not just sitting from the sidelines of like, I think this is what would be nice for, you know, people in the e-commerce industry. You're an actual seller, you're in the trenches. And so you're solving real problems that you're facing in your own business. So with that, let's continue down that path of prophecy and pricing. And then we'll kind of flip the conversation. We'll go down the AI route as well, because I know there's a lot that we could talk about there. Um, so let's talk about pricing first, because I'm a huge believer in the, of this, especially in the inflationary environment that we're in, where a lot of sellers, honestly, are letting their margin just get you wa watching it erode away um, without doing anything. So tell us more about that, your experience with prophecy and yeah. what you've seen. Yeah, well, so my e-com company, we, we manufacture vacuum filters, coffee filters, air filters. It's a commodity. And we had a beautiful year, a great year in 2020. And then 2021, we saw some softening, which led into 2022. So there's PPC inflation. There's your cost of goods sold inflation. There's saturation in my category, and it's at its peak. We have Chinese sellers selling against us, trying to convert from renminbi to U.S. dollars. Uh, and so there's all these things that are happening. And my profit started dwindling, really, and started get, there's a lot of profit pressure, a lot of compression happening. And so I was looking for new ways to unlock profit. And I think pricing is a lever that is the hot, biggest lever that flows to the bottom line, and it's a huge blind spot, and nobody's making a change to price. There's all mm -hmm. these agencies out there that are saying, hey, like, we'll, we'll change ad spend. And if you look at the equation of ACOS, which is your ad spend relative to your revenue, 
Yeah. And they're only changing one side of the equation. It's like having a peanut butter sandwich and not having jelly on it. Like, and those two things go together. So true. So true. And, and so many people overlook it. And honestly, there hasn't been many tools in the Amazon space to be able to test prices. I know Splitly is probably the most common one that comes to people's mind. I know I've used it, um, didn't love it. And so we, we retired it. So tell us more about Prophecy. What, what does your guys' software tool do? And walk us through some of the strategies of how to use this. Yeah, sure. So initially I was doing pricing manually. So I would have a spreadsheet. I'd look at all my competitors. I'd look at my conversion rate, look at my sessions. And that simply was not a scalable idea, right? Because you can increase price and then understand what the effect is. There's a knock-on effect to increasing your price. And then you can also decrease price, increase velocity, and see how that affects the prof- overall profitability of your business. And so the beautiful thing about true AI, real AI, is that it's faster than us, it's cheaper than us, it'll make far fewer mistakes if you train it correctly. Mm -hmm. So my thesis is building an AI-first business with pricing in mind that optimizes to maximize our intention, which is to maximize profitability. Like what is the sweet spot of pricing across your SKUs? And it's not just making changes in a vacuum, meaning like Splitly was ahead of its time as an old school software, not leveraging AI and but it wouldn't factor in competition. You can't make changes in an Amazon marketplace that's dynamic without factoring competition. So we're pulling in all these signals, like we're talking about billions and billions of lines of data to Mm. figure out what is the signal in the noise to maximize the outcome that we're training the model around, which is profitability. Interesting. So how do you take into consideration seasonality? Because I hear you, we've done the same thing for ourselves. We're tracking price increases via a spreadsheet BSR rate, uh, BSR ranking. And then we're also looking at, you know, the top hundred sellers, Mm -hmm. right? Making sure that, you know, do we stay in our same, you know, between one to 10 or do we start falling out of that if we raise our price? That's been the only way we've really looked at it plus conversion rate. But for us, we've seen there be a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of seasonality, right? One Mm -hmm. week, you know, could be, you know, let's say the week before Black Friday, right? And sessions might be down in your conversion rate. Like there's just a lot of people preparing and putting stuff into their, you know, basket. So the conversion rate might be down that week. But then the next week, conversion rate goes up because of, you know, external environment. So how does your guys' software take all of that into consideration? Uh, well, we plug into the Amazon Seller Central API and the Ads API. I believe in the Seller Central API, we can go back 18 months. In the Ads API, we can go back six months, but we're pulling all of that in, right? And pricing is not about one signal, right? You're, men- you're mentioning sessions, right? It's about a series of signals and a series of patterns and unlocking decisions. And it's a series of decisions that need to happen over time mm. to maximize profit. So it's like this like supercharged pattern recognition engine. And so we're just pulling in all this information, training the model over time. So we're building a proprietary model. There's nothing that's like off the, it's not like a model that we're finding that's on a website, right? We're building everything from scratch and we're not just using it in our H1 tag on our marketing website. We're actually AI first and what we're building is working, which is even the cooler thing. That's fascinating. So at the end of the day, is it just, 
tweaking your price on a consistent, like, is this on a daily basis? It's testing out different prices. How often is it yeah. changing prices? Yeah. So these are great questions. So by the way, we're, we're, we're learning and the AI is learning. And the most beautiful thing is that not only are humans capable of self-improvement, but so are AI. So is AI. And so in our first cohort with customers, we got feedback. And the idea was, there's a saying in software that if you're not embarrassed by your product launch, you've launched too late. And like we had serious learnings to happen from our first cohort of customers that were piloting, including myself. And so we've integrated a lot of that feedback into our second cohort. And so one of those learnings was that sellers and brands don't change pricing often. And so what that means is imagine you go to Facebook and there's no poach, there's no lights, there's no one that you follow, there's no dwell time on videos. Facebook mm -hmm. wouldn't know what to serve you. There's nothing for it to chew on, right? There's no, no like meat to chew on. And so in that same vein, Prophecy had nothing to chew on because people weren't changing prices and they didn't know how the market would react to price changes. So in our second cohort, we've developed this, we call it the hyper, hyper learning phase where we go through a month of incremental small changes to price that are done on a profit neutral basis mm -hmm. um, that it can learn from and improve from what it finds and then start to deploy the optimal price to the channel. And we do it dynamically. And just to be very clear, we only do this for private label brands like Amazon, digitally native brands. We don't work with resellers or if you're trying to compete for the buy box, there's plenty of tools out there, out there that do it. We are exclusively focused on winning the search engine ranking page on Amazon. Interesting. And I think that's an important thing to call out because there's so many repricing um, softwares out there that are just simply like trying to own the buy box. They're not necessarily there to maximize your profitability. So I think that's a huge differentiating factor. And like this is meant for private label sellers. If you have your own brand. Um, great tool to be using. So I want to ask you the question, Chad, you've, you've gone through multiple exits. You have your own e-com brand. Why the focus on pricing and why is it so important at the end of the day? Yeah. So, well, firstly, the reason why I was focused on price was that I was trying, I'm trying, I'm still working through it. I've been working on turning around my e-commerce business. It's been deteriorated over time. Didn't get a lot of love for me as I've been building other initiatives in my life. And so, you know, for me, I optimize spend and my A costs, and I've been optimizing our conversion rate and my listings itself and the infographics on those listing pages. But like the one thing that's driving the most to the bottom line, it's a very small lever and it swings big doors, but it's not being swung was price. And I just couldn't understand why. Like we, if we have a $10,000 ad campaign, you would never leave it, you would never leave it unoptimized, right? You'd always right. be optimizing it. So why is nobody optimizing price? Because it's A, it's hard to understand and it's very manual. And by the time you make the change to the price, the market shifted. So this is why I focus on it. And it's a, it's a juicy, it's a, it's a delicious problem. It really is. And it can provide, I mean, it, it's a huge impact to your bottom line, right? That's, if you want to uh, you know, increase your bottom line, the best way to do it is just by raising your prices. Roland Frazier, one of the previous guests that we've had on the show, one of the things that he does first when he acquires any businesses is he simply raises prices. Um, because to your point, so many brands do not touch their price. They're too scared, to be honest with you, because they're like, well, I like sales where they're at. If I raise them, you know, 10%, 25%, I, I'm going to lose it all, right? And I think I actually fell in that camp 
prior to all of the inflationary environment that we've been in recently with Amazon continually increasing their FBA fees. You've got manufacturers increasing, you know, the cost of goods um, that you're purchasing from them. ACOS is going up, ads. So with all of that, like our back was against the wall. Although I felt like, hey, 1999 is kind of, that's the tipping point. You go over the $20, like you cross that mental bridge of $20 Mm -hmm. and something cents, all heck's going to break loose, right? And I'm just going to be in a downward spiral, lose my market share. And on the contrary, we raised the price by $5, increased the price by 25% and still maintain we were currently the number two best seller in that entire product category. Didn't move a needle. We yep. stayed right there. Now we've got more profit coming to the bottom line. So I want to ask you the question, Chad, like, are you seeing the same thing with a lot of the clients that you're working with and these early users of the software that there is more room to increase prices on Amazon and it's not affecting organic rankings or it's not a spiral downward? Or are you seeing the opposites true of, hey, really, like, lower your price. Yeah, you get margin compression, but, man, you, you shoot to the roof and you stay locked in in those top positions. What, what have you seen? Well, okay, so prophecy in general is about maximizing profit without sacrificing your BSR. So there's a lot of people in the Amazon space that say just raise prices. And that's a lot of times could be reckless advice and insight, right? Because like pricing isn't one size fits all. And yes, pricing needs to change. But the question is, should it go up or should it go down? Because you can increase price and that may offset demand. And you can lower price. It may spur demand. It'll increase velocity and it could produce more absolute profit dollars to your bottom line. And you could lower BSR as well. So like there's there's also a knock-on effect that happens on Amazon, like the flywheel that I hate to talk about, but needs to be talked about which is like the price today impacts your orders tomorrow. And so nobody knows what that sweet spot is. And just because you raise price tomorrow doesn't mean actually it should be lowered two days from now or three days from now. So like I said earlier, pricing is a series of changes that need to happen, a series of decisions that happen over time based on pattern in the data. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that pricing should be stagnant. I think it should be dynamic all the time. Kind of like Uber Surge, right? Uber has... Mm-hmm changes of pricing for their drivers all the time. Nobody even knows that it's surge, surge environment, environment anymore, but they, yep. know, they know the right price that's going to maximize their profit on each ride. And Amazon sellers don't. Even Amazon, by the way, changes price. So anyway, that's a long way of me saying that pricing needs to be dynamic and it's not one specific decision that needs to happen. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I started my career at American Airlines, right? And they have huge revenue management departments because pricing is dynamic, right? They're always changing the fares um, on a regular basis to see what's the competition doing? How full is my plane? Um, Are there certain events like big football? Is there Super Bowl going on in this weekend? Well, in this market, I'm going to increase the fares because there's going to be that Mm -hmm. much more demand. So I think, I mean, that's such a good mindset shift for, I think, private label sellers to look at their pricing instead of like, well, you get to your maximum price and then you just leave it there. Right. And instead, like you should be dynamically pricing. So Chad, would you mind walking us through like maybe what are some situations? I know a lot of this is AI driven, but like, is the theory correct that like, Hey, maybe if your product sells best during Q4, is that when you maximize profits and like, 
the demand's so strong that you can raise prices there um, because it's your peak seasonality. But then maybe mm. on the off-season times, like maybe that's when you have to decrease your price. I'm just throwing out ideas here. But yeah, is, what's been your experience that way with dynamic pricing? Yeah, well? and before I even get to dynamic pricing, I think it's important if there's going to be a takeaway for the community of listeners that are listening. Like when I have my L10 meeting with my my team for my e-commerce business, like pricing is talked about, right? Like mm. we have a we made sure everyone is aligned around pricing and pricing is, is, is front and center in our conversation, right? Because pricing has a massive trickle down effect. Yep. So that's one thing I think that most don't talk about, right? And, and, and you sort of tie those departments together. Whoever is responsible for pricing ties to finance, ties to listings, ties to ad spend. Everything is intertwined, right? And connected. Yeah. So connecting those dots is very important for doing it manually. Um, as it relates to dynamic pricing, uh, it's, so there's all these factors that are flowing into our model, right? So there's uh, signals, there's your, your own price, there's your reviews, there's your competitor's price, their BSR, your own BSR. We do a reverse ASIN lookup on all your keywords, find your competitors for those keywords. Uh, so we're pulling all this into a model. And right now, it's informing the model so that we can change pricing that's optimal. Now, before you even begin using Prophecy or even be before you even begin changing pricing, you have to know your intention for your product for your ASIN. So you might be in your honeymoon launch period of a SKU and like, you just want to get rank. And that's not what Prophecy's focus is. Our focus is on mature Amazon brands who already have velocity, who want to harvest profit. And mm. so knowing that going in, if you're like, hey, Chad, I want to liquidate product because its expiration is coming up, that's not our focus at the company. And maybe over time, we develop more models to enhance rank or to enhance liquidation. But right now, it's exclusively focused on profit. Mm. But it takes ranking into consideration, right? Yeah, or maintain yeah, BSR, right? That, the goal is to maintain BSR. Our goal isn't to 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 maximize BSR, like the primary goal yeah. is to maximize your contribution profit. Yep, makes a lot of sense. So I would imagine for a lot of our listeners, this is one of the, the best tools you should be using, you know, those 12 to 24 months prior to an exit, right? Where you want to squeeze the juice and make sure that that bottom line is looking as good as it possibly can be. Do you have any case studies of people that have used your software in preparation for exits and all? Yeah, we're, we're working with a ton of aggregators. We can back test our model to see how much money is being left on the table. Like there's a lot of work we're doing behind the scenes. And like, let's just say a 1% change in price could increase your bottom line by 11%. And let's just say that 11% mm -hmm. is $10,000, right? You annualize that, that's 120K. I'm just giving you a hypothetical. Yep. And you apply a three conservative, right? 2023 number, uh, conservative recession multiple of, 3x and like that's significant dollars in your pocket. Yeah. So we're working, we're doing a lot of that behind the scenes, working with a lot of a lot of brands uh, that are working towards an exit for sure. That's awesome. Let's turn the tide now. Let's talk about AI. So you've got a lot of experience using AI prophecy built around AI as well. Uh, can you give us a few examples of you know ways you think e-commerce sellers should be incorporating AI? into their businesses. For sure. So by the way, AI is thrown around. And so I just want to be very clear is that AI 
true AI, right, will observe, will experiment, and will learn independently of a human that's built it. So a human can train it, but then it self-learns and it improves over time, right? That's true AI. So there's a lot of companies in the Amazon space, I'm just pointing this out, that it's human logic masquerading as AI, right? It's just an if-then statement, and that's not AI. So our AI creates its own, being a nice haunt in the background, uh, (laughs) our AI essentially has nested if-then statements that, and many nodes of if-then statements to get you to the outcome that you want to achieve. Now, pricing is just like one small part of where you can leverage AI. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity, in my opinion, and a lot of green space to innovate in this space right now. And I'm like front and center focusing on it. And one of the reasons why I think AI is going to be probably of most importance in 2023 is sellers need to do a lot more with less. And there's no shortage of uh, insights and dashboards in our space, but then you have to actually act on those dashboards, act and create and like take insights and convert them into decisions. And that's mm-hmm. where AI comes in. If you look at some of the top aggregators, they are all focusing. I think to me, there's going to be this focus of the rise of the algorithm in 2023. And that shift will happen. And those that are smartest will be the first to adopt it. And if you look at what's happening in the Amazon space, specifically, you look at the biggest aggregators they have mm-hmm. the biggest budget yep. right, to spend on this stuff. And they're recruiting like crazy to build their own in-house algorithms to make decisions because, well, their decisions have been, that they've made are flawed. Interesting. What are some of the examples? Like, can you give us a few examples of like what type of decisions are they making that are flawed that you think AI could be making better decisions? Beautiful. Yeah, of course. So pricing, right? Uh, spending, ad spend, uh, demand forecasting. Uh, listing optimization, even finding out like what characteristics to buy in a company based on what they've learned so far of their mistakes. And again, it's all about observing, learning, and shortening that, that learning curve. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to make mistakes, but it's how quickly the AI can pick up on those mistakes and pivot to maximize the outcome you want to achieve. Yeah. So we're like in the epicenter to me, like crypto was always interesting, but it wasn't revolutionary the way that AI is. And if you look at, you know, in the, in the call earlier, we were talking about ChatGPT, that to me, when I saw that and I saw what it can do, I was like, it was like seeing Google for the first time when I was in elementary school. Mm, Yep. It's very true. What do you see? um, How are you currently using AI then would be my question with your current e-commerce business. I know you're currently restructuring that, bringing it back, you know, to you know, it's fruitful days. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you utilizing AI? You've got prophecy that you're using. That's your AI tool for pricing. But mm-hmm. w- what other ways are you currently using AI? Oh, man. Uh, well, uh, so firstly, prophecy, like the, the beautiful thing is we're building this proprietary algorithm. It's fantastic, right? But then there's like the actual text work. So for example, ChatGPT has um, version 3.5 that was mm-hmm. released with a dialogue box. And that dialogue box, each thread can be saved and can be trained, right? So I shared earlier that I run Think Crucial, and uh, I've been working on turning that business around in many ways, skew rationalizing, better forecasting, better demand planning, optimizing on price, optimizing our infographics. So an example would be, we make a vacuum hose. Okay. That vacuum hose, uh, I don't know much about vacuum hoses, right? 
but I know enough where I can talk about, hey, I want, I know the vacuum hose will suck up more dirt, improve the overall healthiness of your indoor living space, mm-hmm. and um, get rid of dust. Now, you can essentially train ChatGPT to come up with infographic headlines mm. for your, your listing. And it came up with it. Like literally, I said, create bullet points for me around a benefit headline for this vacuum hose. And I trained it, of course. And so there's a lot of like tailoring that's required to get you to the outcome that you want to achieve, just like anything else in AI. And it came up with this like one headline. It was like, dust be done. And I was like, boom, right? That was just like one headline that I used, the infographic, but like think about how much time it saved me. And so that's just, I'm giving you one example of me using it in my econ business, but I'm actually using it like through a lot of parts of my life right now. Could you share some of those other ways that you're using it out of e-commerce? Just because I myself am am wondering, like, I've had the same questions with ChatGBT of like, this is so powerful. What are the different ways that I could utilize it even in my own life? So would you mind sharing that even personally, what you've been using it for? So uh, you can use it for creating responses. And so initially I had, you know, I have like two different screens open. I have my my main screen and my, my other screen. And you can use it to revise and edit copy, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you want to like put some ideas in something and plant some seeds and then have the copy be built for you in an email response. And so I was doing that and I was like, wait a minute, there has to be like, first of all, this is amazing, right? It can edit a reply for me in an email, but like, why is there no Chrome extension or software out there? Because ChatGPT can technically write emails for you. Right. I started researching and this is going to probably go to one of those end of the podcast questions, which is like, what software am I using right now? That's a game changer. Yeah. So I found this software called LEAI. Okay. Okay. And LEAI, essentially the Chrome extension, it goes into my Gmail and it has different tones. So it has like interested, not interested, mm. disappointed, uh, excited. I can hit a tone and hit reply or respond and it will respond based on what it believes in the thread should be the next response. Wow, that's cool. It is so freaking cool. And even if it takes me only 70% of the way there, right? Yeah. Or 80%. I mean, I'm sure, Josh, you get a lot of emails. Yep. I get a lot. Like, we all are just inundated with emails that require responses. And like, what if you can even cut down the response time? So I have my inbox shadowed right now. I have a shadow in my inbox, which is a VA. Mm -hmm. But now I can essentially maximize the potential of my VA where we can run LEAI, get us 70% of the way there. Yep. She does the remaining 30%. And now she can be doing other things that are high impact for me and for the company. Totally agree. I think that that's one of the first things that people do is you try to outsource their email inbox management, especially as you get busier as a CEO. And yeah, you hire that VA. Well, the great thing is too, I mean, you could even get... I'm definitely by no means an English, you know, uh, major by uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But like having well articulated emails generated by AI, mm-hmm. AI it's going to make you sound smarter. Um, and I remember one of the things that I got feedback for when I was working at American Airlines, like I'm straight into the point, uh, you know, whenever I get feedback. Mm-hmm. And so I think like you could build that AI, I, I imagine, to say, hey, start with something nice about the person. Hey. Thanks so much. Hope you're having a great day, blah, blah, blah. 
then lead into your next message so you don't come off as cold, right? To some people. So, so, I, I, so I just, a few things like you can train the dialogue box, which I, by the way, once 4.0 comes out, it'll even be more revolutionary, but you can use the dialogue box. That's great. This Chrome extension, they have a prompt built in that can train you on your style of writing. Mm. So you don't have to keep on retraining the thread. It's, it's really, really fascinating. It's amazing. I love that. So cool. So cool. What else? What else are you using AI for? Uh, well, I'm using, uh, right now I'm actually experimenting with, because remember I said earlier on the call that pricing and spend go together. Yep. And right now everyone's just focusing on like one side of the equation, which is the ACOS. Yep. And they're focusing on what they, so they're saying my target. So before there was these PPC tools, right? That you can set up goals and forget it. Break even ACOS rules. and that's all, right? Break even ACOS, right? But it's focusing on what you make, not what you keep. Mm-hmm. And so I, I believe that there's going to be a shift into uh, your profit on ad spend versus your return on ad spend. I think people are focusing on the wrong metric. Mm. And I'm right now working on training models with pricing in mind because pricing informs spend. Spend doesn't inform price. Mm. And I think a lot of people get that twisted. So I'm I'm building my own proprietary system around that. But when it comes to like text, right? Content and text, like ChatGPT is just incredible. So, I mean, you can use it really in all walks of life, right? To improve responses. And I'm, I'm I'm, I'm very short when it comes to text messages. So I'll give you another example, right? I want to have a, you know, honest conversation and openly share. Yeah. So I, I grew up overweight. And I've always been scared about reverting back to that. And so I'm constantly cooking for my family. And now that I'm restructuring my e-commerce business and managing Prophecy, which is a startup, I find myself needing more time to get like work done so I can actually focus on spending more time with my family and not cooking. So I was going to hire a private chef and uh, we have a lot of dietary limitations in my family. Mm -hmm. So I outlined all these dietary limitations and there's a lot to the chef to do meal prep. So meal prep once a week for us and get everything stored in our fridge and it saves a lot of time. It's worth it. They do the shopping for me as well. So I gave, I gave him a list. She came back and created a menu and I'm super short on text. So I was just like, this is not exciting me, right? This is, that was my feedback pretty much. <laughs> I probably could have been a little better with my feedback. So she wrote back saying, Hey, like based on this, it's not a good fit. Mm. Said, okay. Peace and love. Not a good fit. Um, surprised at the response, but okay, like, give me my, it was a lot of money. So like, give me my, fine, let me get my money back, fine. And uh, I was like, okay, maybe that was a little bit short with her, but why don't I throw a mess, a, res- a quick response into ChatGPT and it can make it even better. That's more thoughtful and more curated based on my mm-hmm. initial in- intention, right? It's about setting your intentions and baking that in into the, into the response. And it created the message with a lot more empathy and in much more detail. Uh, so that's just another, I'm just giving you a small example of like the kind of power that's at your fingertips. And then she wrote me back a message and like, it was great. We, we ended the relationship in a very healthy way. Mm. But like, I have a lot of other things to worry about than my chef who decided to quit. Yeah, yeah. What a great example. And I think it, and it can save you so much time. Uh, have you come off, you know, as more empathetic and just saving a lot of time. Uh, I fall into that same bucket. Don't have a lot of time. So you get a lot of quick responses where same thing, maybe that empathy doesn't come through. 
that text or the email very well. Uh, Chad, let's pivot our conversation now into your e-com business restructuring that you're going through. Tell us more about what you're doing there to kind of resurrect your e-commerce brand. So, so it's a very mature brand. I've been selling on Amazon since 2007. Been around very, since the beginning. <laughs> since, uh, yeah, I'm definitely an OG. And um, look, I was probably one of the first direct consumer Amazon brands. Margins were probably in the SaaS margin profile uh, and have deteriorated ever since because there's been a gold rush. Let's say like the gold rush started, I want to say in 2015, 2016, dating back to probably like amazing.com. Mm-hmm. And um, it's gotten certainly a lot more competitive. So in that process, right, I started focusing on other things that light me up, right? Prosper Show, Subana. And um, I, I'll just say that I didn't get the proper love and devotion and attention that it was needed. So now you fast forward, I've inherited a business that hasn't gotten a love. It's very dusty. The listings are dusty. It needs skew rationalization. There's been a lot of copycats in the space. And so, I mean, everything is on fire pretty much. And actually, I think we're going to have a good month this month, but it's been taking me about three months Mm. to catch the falling sword. And um, so what have I done? I've restructured the entire team. I created an org chart. I've hired uh, specialists with each in each department. Instead of uh, hiring like general generalist roles, I've hired like spearfishers. Mm. I've been working on stew rationalizing. We have 550 stews that are all private label, okay. not including kits and bundles, which gets us to like a thousand something listings. So I'm going through a lot of stew rationalization. What do you mean by that? So creating criteria that, so for example, I would say something like anything that is below a specific amount of turns that mm. is below a specific net margin that has less than one velocity per day should be should get cut. That would be an example of a skew rationalization practice where we're cutting skews to make the business more efficient, easier to manage. Yeah. That's an example. Another example is like right now, I'm just like unloading on you, right? Because like all it's all top yep. of mind and hopefully this is helpful for someone no, listening. I, I love it. <laughs> I'm taking uh, notes myself. <laughs> I'm I this business hasn't like, so I have had, I've been in a 3PL for like 13 years or something. And they do all my pick and pack. They do my D to C business off Amazon. They do all my FBA workflow and they do my kits and assemblies that go to FBA as well. And so, well, why not do those kits and assemblies in China mm. as an example? Why not inject that directly into the Amazon distribution centers directly from China versus using labor that's very expensive labor to do, to do that work? So. These are just a sm- small amount of like, you know, we're talking infographics as well. There's a slew of things that I'm like firing on every cylinder to mm. turn this company around and I'm leaving no rock unturned. And I've also implemented an L10 meeting, yeah. uh, which is an EOS meeting that initially we had somebody come facilitate it to get everything out in the open and alignment across all the functions of the team. Yeah. How big is your team right now for that business? So right now we have two like general VAs. We have someone just specifically focusing on inventory forecasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Prophecy doing the pricing. Uh, we've got a catalog manager and we have a PPC person internally. So how many is that? Is that five? Five. Roughly? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So pretty lean team then. 
And you said you're kind of restructuring it. What does your org chart look like now, right? You're, you're hiring more people or spear fishers, right? Specialists. Um, yep. Like, tell us more about that. Yeah. So it could be like finding somebody to just do all my Amazon health issues, right? Mm. Like we make replacement filters to fit specific models. And so yep. hiring someone specific for that. Uh, it could be that none of my, all my ASINs, believe this or not, were a one pack and a two pack and a four pack were all separate ASINs on Amazon. Well, you know that if you merge those ASINs, you get the reviews together. Yep. Uh, the one pack, the two pack, the four pack can all live in the same listing. And so finding somebody to do all of that work, and there's a lot of work that needs to happen because they have to identify what are the different kits, what are the bundles, mm -hmm. how they should be merged, which should be the parent versus the child and the dependencies that are interrelated. So that, those are some examples for you. Awesome. I love that. Makes a lot of sense. And then down the road, so you're heavily involved in those meetings. So you're involved in the level 10 meeting, I would assume, and kind of helping coordinate the work of those five team members then right now. Is that true? That is a true, that is a true statement. And that's why like ChatGPT or any AI that I implement that can save me time and save me hair loss and save me money <laughs> is amazing. Yeah, totally hear you. That's great. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to cover as it relates to restructuring or even incorporating AI that we haven't touched on yet that you think our audience should know about or or be aware? Because I and then maybe I think I've kind of created another question in my mind of that will take this is where do you think the future of Amazon is going? Like, what does it look like five years from now as a private label seller from your perspective? So kind of two part question there. So I think I've shared openly about how I'm leveraging AI uh, and like the components of AI that I'd be implementing today, right? I do think that there's a sense of in an Amazon business, the early adopters are the ones that end up winning in the long term, and that compounds over time. Mm -hmm. so the quicker you can implement AI and adopt what I've discussed today, I think the better off you're going to be because I think the strong and the smart are the ones that are going to survive. As it relates to Amazon, I mean, right now, I'm pretty bearish on our economy, specifically. Ecom went through an amazing uh, flourishing wave during the pandemic, and, and uh, I think consumer spending is going to drop. I do think Amazon is going to be a great place. Like, where do people go when they want to save money? They're going to spend less money on Shopify, on direct consumer, non-discretionary goods, and focus on discretionary goods, commodities, and that's really, the Amazon marketplace is really good at that. Mm. I I guess I'm I'm pretty concerned around our global economy and the softening, particularly China specifically. And I've I've posted on LinkedIn a little bit about this and finding redundant supply sources for those that have tremendous Chinese exposure to suppliers, I think is gonna be important as we move forward. Yeah. I, I've heard that in the past. We had Steve Simonson on the podcast as well, and that's something that he highlighted, right, is you, he, he definitely encouraged in the political environment that we're in to start looking for some alternatives. So you're the second to echo that sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good call by Steve. And I'm, I mean, I'm seeing it right now, right? I'm dealing with my suppliers right now. There's a COVID outbreak in China. They've had mm -hmm. the zero COVID policy in place. And it's unlikely, like we're not even at the Chinese New Year yet. And they're already telling me, hey, like we may not be able to deliver on these goods. Mm. And so 
I think finding other sources of supply are important. But the problem is that like most of the manufacturing capabilities are in China, all yep. the machinery is in China, and the cheap labor is in China. Mm-hmm. I don't envision that to be the future uh, for much longer because of the one-child policy that happened in China, and the they're going to have uh, say younger work labor shortages yep. because of that policy they've implemented. It's true. So with that being said, what's a seller to do? What what should they be doing today with a gloomish outlook, so to speak? So I think the CPG companies, right, and edible like companies that are making things that you can eat, right? Those are that's happening in the United States. And so what do you do? I mean, you try to find alternate sources and seeing about maybe transferring machinery into the United States. And there are, by the way, tax breaks you can get for machinery. You can get SBA. There's some advantages that you can get. Uh, by mo- moving production into America if you can, right? And mm. if you don't want to, finding other global sources that maybe can produce more efficiently and for the same price or maybe a little bit more money. Yeah. And that takes a lot of work, right? It, it takes a lot of research to figure that out. Totally agree. Well, And Chad, I have not figured that out, by the way, because I'm, I have so much exposure in China uh, with my commoditized items that uh, yeah, I have tremendous exposure to that. And that's a, that's a, that's a big risk. Yeah, it, it is much easier said than done, um, but one that I think people should keep at the top of their mind and, and be prioritizing in their business. So thank you for articulating those points from your point of view. Now, Chad, as we wrap things up today, I love to leave the audience and our listeners with three actionable takeaways from each episode. So, Chad, here are the ones that I've noted. Let me know if you think I'm missing something. So number one from our conversation today you should be walking away with a greater emphasis on profits and pricing for your business. I think overall, so many businesses and private label sellers haven't tested their pricing or considered raising their pricing recently. And because it is such a bear to kind of understand what kind of impact a decrease in the price could bring or an increase in the price could bring, most people just leave it alone. I think that. Like you mentioned, the aggregators are on top of this. They're going to start using it. So it's going to be the strong and the smart sellers that are going to be able to survive three to five years from now. So starting on that today, and I would give a shout out to Prophecy. What a great AI tool to use that's going to maximize your profits and make sure that you maintain that BSR. So step number two, uh, or action item number two, is think about and strategize ways to incorporate AI into your business today. Um, If you're not the creative and visionary type that love to think about, you know, new business ideas, what I would start off with is task your team to say, hey, with all of the responsibilities that you guys have going on, how could you utilize ChatGPT in your current workflows? and see what ideas your team comes up with. I know that's one of the things that I'm going to be tasking my team um, early on here coming up is how do we incorporate ChatGPT into what we're doing to save time? And then last but not least, the third takeaway is to make sure you've kind of battened down your hatches, so to speak. This kind of correlates with your pricing, but it also coincides with your supplier relationships Um, And this kind of layers up into, I would say, an even bigger topic, which I would just say is get really clear with your organizational structure 
and making sure that you're firing on all cylinders. I think it's easy as a visionary CEO sometimes for you to say, hey, I, I've hired somebody that does supply chain. I'm not going to have those conversations with them. That They're going to run things. What you talked about, Chad, is like that level 10 meeting from the EOS framework is so vital to a business. We've been implementing it. We've been We've had it implemented in our business for a year now, and it helped us run faster than we ever imagined. So firing on all cylinders means everybody on your leadership team knows the direction that you're moving forward with, and you guys are solving issues because every every business is going to have issues that pop up, but you're solving them repeatedly, and everybody's on the same page. So those are my takeaways. Chad, anything else you would add? That was, Josh, that was really eloquent. Did you put that into ChatGPT? Or is that you're off the top? <laughs> well, in the me in the while I was going through here, I ran through my script. Sadly, I would like to yeah. say that I I was incorporating AI, yeah. but off yeah, the cuff. Yeah, no, that was really good. That was great. That was a great summary of what we discussed and the takeaways for sure. Awesome. Well, Chad, as we wrap up um, our conversation today, what is uh, what's been the most influential book that you've read and why? Uh, hmm. It may seem like a trite example. Four Hour Workweek was ahead of its time uh, by Tim Ferriss and inspired me to make some serious changes in my life and move off of Wall Street. Essentially, it literally gives you a script of what to give to your boss to work one day a week from home. This is before mm. like remote work was even acceptable and encouraged me to go down the entrepreneurial path. So it was just like a big pivotal book in my life. That being said, I've read a lot of books, uh, but that was definitely a pivotal book. book. That is that is a good book. I remember reading that book as well, and I, I do agree. I think it was ahead of its time, uh, but it laid a great foundation for I think what we're experiencing now. So it's a good one to go back and reference. Yeah, I mean, I, I can if you want, I can mention like maybe two other books that have been are great that I love. Let's hear it. Uh, the Almanac of Naval. I think it's called the Navalmanac. Mm. I'm not sure if you've been following Naval Ravikant. Uh -uh. He's a business philosopher. And uh, he's known for his tweet storm uh, mm -hmm. around like business and philosophy. But he's he's someone like wrote a book about all his subject matter, and it was it's really great. It's a really great book. That's a, awesome. that's a good runner up that I loved. Uh, if we're talking about business books, the Great CEO Within is a playbook on being a CEO and like covers all the challenges that you that may come up over time and how to deal with those challenges. Those I do a good. lot of self help books too, so. But these are these are good good business uh, these are good business books. Those are solid solid recommendations. All right, Chad. Next question. You kind of already answered it earlier in the episode, so I'm going to ask you if there's any other softwares that people should be using. But what is your favorite or game changing software that you've been utilizing? Talked about Ellie.ai. Um, any other AI softwares or other anything in general that you would recommend our sellers should be listening to. By the way, following. it's, it's leai.com. leai.com. Yeah, right. E-L-L-I. And by the way, they don't pay me to, to recommend this. I'm just a, a fan, right? And I want to share stuff that I'm a fan of. Other softwares, I, look, I'm a fan of Notion. I'm a really big fan of Notion. I'm, you can do so much in it. It has, you know, you can use it as a wiki, you can use it as a project management software, you can use it personally, you can use it professionally, and you can use all these templates that are built already for you. So I'm a big Notion fan. I use it both in my software company, Prophecy, along with my e-commerce business with different mm -hmm. sections. So that's a good software that I love. Uh, outside of that, I mean, I love using software, but those are the two biggies that I've come across my, my desk recently. Awesome. All right, last question. 
who is someone or a group of some people that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that other people should be following and why? So this is a really interesting question. Uh, I'm very particular of who I'm getting advice from. Uh, and the people that I am getting advice from, I'm staying very close to them. So meaning I'm text messaging them all the time. I'm trying to set up at least weekly or every two week conversations. Uh, so for example, like Brandon Young, you know, he's on, I have him on text for, to go through things as we both go through, through things as an entrepreneur. Uh, Steve, Steve Pope is another one who I keep pretty close to me. Uh, so I, I think if anything, I would encourage people to find the person who can be supportive, who can like really listen to you and give you sound advice. And you run the risk of taking advice from people who, where the advice isn't so sound. Have you ever seen like Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. the hand of the king? And that's why the hand of the king is so important. And they, you know, they pull the pin off of his jacket very quickly or his or her jacket very quickly because it's all about the people you're surrounding yourself with. Yeah. And so I, I, I just would encourage people to take a look at their port, like who they're communicating with and evaluate that and keep those people that they really want to get close to on speed dial. Yeah. You are a summation of the five people that you hang out with the most, right? And interact with the most. Um, so it is definite wise advice to uh, kind of do some inventory of, you know, who are you spending time with and what type of value are they providing to you? And are they helping you up level your game in your mindset as well? So, yeah, there's, there's another quote where it's like, uh, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> but the feedback that I just shared was you want to be the one that's putting the room together. Mm, it's very true. Very true. Well, that's why I have this podcast and I invite people like you doing bigger, better, amazing things than myself, Chad. And you've done some incredible stuff. So thank you so much for the insights that you've shared with us today. Chad, where should people reach out to you if they want to learn more about prophecy? Where should they go? So they can check out prophecy, P-R-O-F-A-S-E-E, -E, profit, you could see dot com. Uh, they can email me directly on my personal email, which is chad at prophecy dot com. I do post thoughts on LinkedIn and I try to be vulnerable and open and share. So feel free, free to follow me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I'm here to support you and help you and achieve your goals. So thank you for having me on, Josh. Awesome. Well, Chad, thanks again. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.